Happy Friday, everybody, or whatever day you're listening to this, and welcome to another retro episode here of the Back in Time podcast. My name is Kyle Autry, flying solo here with a little intro here to Batman Returns, one of our archive episodes, and man, uh, today's a little bit of a bummer. Today would have been the day... Um, it's actually July 10th. This would have been the night that I would be heading to the movie theaters to watch Ghostbusters Afterlife. Instead, uh, COVID reared its ugly head and we have another 237 days to wait, about seven and a half months. Who's counting over here? I don't know. Well, I'm counting. I'm waiting for that day to come where I can go and see that movie, but Hopefully everybody's going to have a great weekend and a great day and be able to get out into some sunshine and enjoy their time with family or whatever they've got going on. But uh, I wanted to talk just a little bit about our Batman Returns episode here. So this came out just a little bit over a year ago. We released it June 14th of 2019. Of course, this is the sequel to the 1989 massive hit Batman that uh, we released just a couple days ago, one of our retro episodes. So that was number two. Oddly enough, and I didn't make this correlation when we originally posted this episode, but this episode of Batman Returns was actually 102. So exactly 100 episodes later, we released the uh, sequel to Batman, which is kind of cool. And uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy this. You're going to get a lot of JD and uh, some very solid Christopher Walken impressions on this episode. We were joined by uh, Jeff Kornbrot, who's a comedian and improv artist on the episode. He had a ton of Batman facts and was very uh, much into this episode. You know, We'll probably have Jeff back on at some point. Uh, you guys, of course, can uh, subscribe to the podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, CastBox, Google Podcast, I mean, any place you listen to podcasts, you can uh, download this for free and subscribe. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube, where all the full episodes and interviews are. And again, none of that costs you guys a dime, just a second of your time to click that subscribe button and follow us on uh, social media as well, at Back in Time Pod. Tweet, let us know what you want to hear for August. We've got a July pretty much cram-packed with stuff. I've got a couple really cool guests lined up for August, which we'll talk about on our Shooting the Manure episode here that'll drop somewhere um, in the first couple days of August. But uh, yeah, later this month, Batman Forever with special guest Brian from the Terrible Terror podcast. Can't wait to have Brian back on. Uh, so guys, enjoy this episode. We will be back next week with a top five episode with Chris Clues. In another top five episode, which we believe will be joined by JD's brother, Jesse, who hasn't been on the podcast in a long time. So we look forward to welcoming him back to the show. So enjoy the retro episode. We'll talk to you guys next week. Welcome to the Back in Time podcast with Kyle and JD, where every week we jump into our DeLorean, cruise to 88 miles per hour, and travel back in time to review our favorite films from all genres and bring you celebrity interviews every single week. Very good, Lewis. Short but pointless. Pizza Dude's got 30 seconds. Mm-hmm.
You want me to yank you out of that seat and shake it out of you? I don't have it. Screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. And now, here is your host, Kyle Autry, and his co-host, J.D. Welcome to the Back in Time Podcast. My name is Kyle Autry, joined as always by my co-host, J.D. J.D., it's Batman Returns Week. How you doing? Do you want me to start with the Christopher walk-in or build up to it? Because I'm fantastic. I'm so stoked that we're finally back in the Gotham City universe. How would Christopher Walken promote our podcast on social media? Oh, this podcast is good. Kind of wants to make you listen, and it's good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, 102 episodes deep, and yeah, you are in for a treat. We've actually already recorded the podcast. We're doing a little intro to start it off here. But, you know, before we kind of dive into things, I think we should talk about last week's episode, JD. This was one of the funnest episodes I think we've ever recorded. Shout out to the Palindrome Jedi, Anna, who came on and was our guest for top five favorite soundtracks. J.D., what kind of feedback did you hear about our Top 5 Soundtracks episode? I knew it would be a dividing episode. I knew there would be people that would agree with us and really relate to some of our picks, and there would be some people that kind of hated on some of our picks, especially mine. I I believe I heard the phrase pretentious thrown out to me, but, you know, whatever. A little bit. But obviously the most hate was really, really, really getting that white zombie song wrong. Yeah, not good. It also wasn't White Zombie. Oh, we're, we're that, still it was messing it up. Soul coughing. No, for sure though. It was. If I'm not correct, me if I'm wrong. Was it not Puddle of Mud? You know what? I think it was Filter. Filter. Ah, shit. Um, no, it wasn't Filter. Maybe Simple Plan. No, oh, no, 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 no. It was a perfect circle. Perfect circle. Let's talk a little, I, you know, I guess the one thing I want to point out, I, I did get some hate because I like the soundtrack for American Pie 2 more than American Pie 1. I would like to add that I picked it because I own the CD. Is American Pie soundtrack 1 better than number 2? Eh, debatable. But it probably is. But I wanted to pick CDs that I actually spent money on, and that's how I made my top 5. So nothing on that list I did not actually own. And that's the beauty part of your favorite soundtracks is you can relate directly to moments that you heard on your circle disc of, of money music mm. that emanated like Dazzler from the speakers onto your life. Okay. And if you didn't have it and you weren't listening to it and you were only familiar from watching the movie, then it's not the same as when you were jumping a portage phone book to slam dunk to Space Jam. Yeah, that's damn right. I believe I can fly. Love, love me some R. Kelly. I used to love R. Kelly. Don't hate me for that. He's a, obviously a horrible human being, though. Now, JD, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the blog. What's going on this week over at backintimepod.com with your blog? We've got a new top five list for one of probably my favorite and your favorite actors. Brendan Fraser just came out. 
and I was a little disappointed to get some pretty decently negative feedback from a lot of people <laughs> that were not buying into my Brendan Fraser picks. And which is fine. I mean, my top five is always different than your top five, which is different from everybody else's top five. That's the beauty part of a top five. So I encourage everybody listening, if you disagree with me, whether it's on the blog, on a top five that we do on the podcast, on an episode, on a teaser trailer, dude, let us know. Yeah, well, you know, here's the thing. I, I I read the article. You did put George of the Jungle on the list. I can understand the hate for that. You also put Bedazzled on there. I do think there's better movies that he's done in his career. Now, what would I put in that place? Eh, I have to think longer. He's been in so many good things, but I mean, Crash kind of comes to mind as a really good movie. You don't like Crash, of course. Also, Blast, Blast from the Past? Come on, man. Yeah, no, obviously a walk-in movie. And that that would be perfect for this. But how did you not get the scout on there? It's tough. You only have five <laughs> positions. There's only five positions. And obviously, what, his name is like Nick Nebraska in that movie or something? Yeah, it is Nick Nebraska. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, Airheads, he's fantastic in. But Oh, God, I love Airhead. I mean, Dude, me, like, your list sucked. That's it. I'm I'm on their side. I, I had to break it down in this. <laughs> you, one, you had to include Monkey Bone. Right. Two, he's actually a fantastic George of the Jungle. And if you read my description, I give it justice as to why I included it. And I don't want to spoil the other ones, but uh, I, you already did Bedazzled, but I think Elizabeth Hurley sort of carried that. <laughs> yeah. And how are you going to sh- throw shade to that pick? That's true. That, you of all people. That, that's right. You called me. I, I'll take that. You're right. Now, I will say your descriptions are getting much better. Like if we go back to the, uh, the top, five, uh, top five movies with animals and you, you drop some knowledge on Free Willy, I believe your actual quote was, it's a movie about a whale. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. In our archives, he hates on the whole movie the entire episode. I actually think uh, it's a good episode, though. No, and I was I was talking to our good friend uh, George Warren um, from Home Alone and from Beverly Hills Cop, and he said he listened to the Free Willy episode and called it one of our worst episodes. Oh, okay. And I agree with him. Do not listen to Free Willy <laughs> in our archives. Instead, listen to Beverly Hills Cop, which I think was a fan effing fantastic episode. I'd have to agree with that. Okay, so let, let, let's get off of the blog, and I look forward to what you're going to put out maybe later this week or uh, next week. We'll see what's coming up, but let's get to the intro to Batman Returns, which is a 1992 American superhero film directed by Tim Burton. It is a sequel to the 1989 film Batman in the second installment of Warner Brothers' initial Batman film series with Michael Keaton reprising the role of Bruce Wayne slash Batman the film also stars Danny DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer, oh, Christopher Walken. No, nope. I, I can't you do it. You have good. a lot of work to do, I'm, my friend. I'm trying my hardest, I swear. But your um, Danny DeVito is very good. Ah, Charlie. Yeah. Well, your Danny DeVito is very okay. Okay. Well, also stars Michael Goff as the one and only Alfred. We got to give him some love. Now, in Batman Returns, Batman must prevent the Penguin from killing all of Gotham City's firstborn sons 
while dealing with Selena Kyle slash Catwoman, the former secretary of businessman Max Shrek, who seeks vengeance against Shrek for attempting to kill her to hide his own plans to bring the city under his control. Burton reportedly originally did not want to direct another Batman film. Warner Brothers developed a script with Sam Hamm, I like that name, which had the Penguin and Catwoman going after a hidden treasure. Burton agreed to return only if they would grant him more creative control, and they replaced Ham, Sam Ham, with Daniel Waters. And after a falling out, Waters was removed and the project uh, from the project, and Wesley Strick was chosen to do an uncredited rewrite shortly before filming took place. And this included normalizing the dialogue, fleshing out the Penguin's motivations and master plan, and removing scenes due to budget concerns. Now, one piece of casting, I think we we have to talk about this. Annette Benning was originally cast as Catwoman, but she ended up getting pregnant, and that's when the role went to Pfeiffer. Now, JD, do you know who Annette Benning is? Yeah, she was fantastic in Captain Marvel. Yes. She's also in um, one of my favorite movies growing up. She's the wife of Dan Aykroyd's character in The Great Outdoors. And she's like, oh, real appropriate Chet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes, that's, that's where I, I always thought, recognize her from. I thought you were going to make a joke about Sam Graham or Sam Ham and how his grandma's name would be Graham Ham, but you went to an, an, an F. Benning joke instead. Right. So. I would be the guy that like went to a Comic-Con convention and she's signing all this Marvel stuff. And I have her sign a photo that says... Introducing Mr. Thick Dick to Mr. Urinal Cake. That would be me. I'm like, great outdoors. Just, it's the best movie ever. She's like, okay, here you go. And yeah, we haven't done that as an episode yet. I'm saving it for something special. Ooh, I like that. Maybe we do that one in July. That's a, that's a very summer movie. Oh. <laughs> I don't think we have to really be talked in the John Candy, though, do we? I'm going to talk you into two in the pink, one in the pink. Oof. Okay. Well, Batman Returns was released on June 19th, 1992. For those counting at home, that's the day before my birthday. Don't forget. Tweet me some love. June and 20th. There you go. And it grossed $266 million worldwide on an $80 million budget. was met with pretty positive reviews. Of course, if you want to hear more about the box office money in the critic response check out our teaser trailer episode it did take home some uh, awards a little bit of hardware for best visual effects academy award best makeup and then of course we have the sequel a couple years later with batman forever which came from schumacher jd do you think we'll ever get into the schumacher films i kind of dread them a little bit if i'm being honest Oh, yeah, for, for certain, we will definitely touch and stroke those films. Okay, we sure will. We're going to be joined by a guest on the other side. Let's take a little break and play a, a podcast commercial promoting one of our friends, whoever we pick. Check them out. Obviously, they're awesome. And uh, real quick, before I, I let go, I, uh, I, I want to throw this out there. There is a GoFundMe out there. I've tweeted about it a few times on the Back in Time podcast account. We've never asked anybody for anything for this podcast. We do it. We love it. We hope you guys enjoy it. But I think there's a pretty good uh, cause for you guys to get behind if you want to support our buddy, 
Dave from Dave's uh, Popcorn Pod Terrific Podcast. It's wait, no, wait. It, it's Dave's Poptastic. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Kettlerific. Kettle corn. Podcorn. Dave's Kettle Corn Podcast. Dave's Kettle Corn Podcast. I hope he makes caramel. That'd be good. I like caramel kettle corn. With a little bit of sugar sprinkled on top. We're, we're totally joking. Dave's Pop Culture Podcast. You know it. You love it. Check it out. It's, it's somebody that's near and dear to his heart going through cancer. Obviously, cancer sucks. We've had it in my family. So check that out. If you can donate, do it. If you can't, at least like and retweet it. Maybe somebody else there will will read the story and, and feel the need to... Uh, to donate a few shekels and, and help out. And it's doing really well. It's close to meeting what the goal is. So check that out. It's uh, The link is in the podcast or on our Twitter page, and I'll retweet it again here in the next day or two. Yeah, and if you have any questions, um, reach out to us, and we can you know relay information to you so you can be a part of it. It's like Kyle said, it's it's... Dave's obviously a great friend to our podcast. We're, you know, very fond of him and all that he does. And this is somebody that matters very much in his life. So they obviously matter very much in our life as a result. But, you know, much love in the podcast community. So if you have questions, tweet at us, email us, um, and we'll set you on the right path. There you go. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. What are you doing, Don? I need fuel. Hey, this is Phantom Dark Dave, and I'm the host of Dave's Pop Culture Podcast. Right now, you're listening to the Back in Time Podcast, which features Kyle and JD, who have both been on my podcast. So if you're listening here, you need to listen to them there, and come check me out. Got everything from horror, science fiction, comic books and cartoons, and some outstanding comedy if you just like shooting the breeze. You can find me over on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Google Play. Well, welcome back to the podcast. If you're listening on YouTube, welcome to the show. Because um, I do cut out the intro. So if you want to listen to the full thing, make sure you go over to Apple Podcast or Spotify and check it out. But JD, are you ready to talk a little Batman Returns, man? Dude, I've been dying to return to this subject. It's Batman. It's DC. It's everything that the world needs at this point. And what more, we've got a special guest with us here tonight. We got a buddy of mine. His name is Jeff. We stand up improv magician extraordinaire. Jeff, go ahead and get, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where people could find you, um, where they can expect to hear some of your jokes that, you know, after they get their uh, the little tips wet from tonight, where they can go. Yeah, I uh, perform over at Westside Improv. It is Wheaton's premier improv studio in downtown Wheaton, Illinois. And uh, the number one club uh, there in Wheaton. Uh, it's great. We have shows Friday and Saturday nights at uh, 8 p.m. for only 10 bucks a person. It is a great deal for something to do in downtown Wheaton, as well as uh, myself personally. Uh, Batman is one of my not is one of my is my favorite superhero bar none. I have seen uh, everything and anything uh, a lot to do with Batman. So, Jeff, now, do you have a, a Twitter that our audience can follow you at? You know, I am on uh, Twitter, but I don't really tweet uh, too often. But uh, real simple, it's at Shea Cornbrot. 
uh, J-K-O-R-N-B-R-O-T. Awesome. Having yeah, a unique name gives me pretty much every uh, handle I want uh, <laughs> available. <laughs> yeah, good to have that. So, All right, cool. Well, um, let's go ahead and dive into this thing. So we begin at the Cobblepot Mansion. We hear a lady screaming, and then the nurses and doctors start kind of running out of this room. And we see the parents kind of just look at each other with some shock and disbelief on their face. And then we cut to them taking this baby basket and just tossing it down the river. And that's really our opening scene before we get to the credits. JD, what what were your thoughts on the opening here? I'm sorry. Is that, are you not mentioning one of the premier actors in this movie? I feel free the, to lay some, some details. Is that not Pee Wee Herman? It is Paul Rubens. I was expecting uh, someone to say that, as well as okay. Sandra Bernhardt's. Come as, on, uh, Kyle. How do you miss those? As well as the wife. <laughs> you go, you go on there. vacation for a week and you rush the notes. That's how you miss it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you don't know that it's him, it doesn't look like him, but it's like a no. glass shatter moment. Like Once you be like, holy moly, that is Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, you're never going to forget that every time you see him then. Yeah, that's amazing. Exactly. I'm for sure going to go back and watch that immediately when we get off the phone here. So yeah, we'll, we'll keep trucking along though. I mean, now, any any thoughts on just throwing a baby down the river here? Seems a little harsh. Well, you know, not really. I mean, it was okay for Moses. Exactly. Everything worked out for him. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's a very biblical opening. Yeah. And I want to say this right off the bat. I think this is one of the great movie scores of all time. I just, I love the Batman score and everything that Elfman did with this. JD, what any thoughts on just the score overall? That's a fantastically, you know, it matches everything that Tim Burton wanted out of this movie, in my opinion. And it's, it's dramatic and it's over the top. And sometimes it really pulls you in and sometimes it pushes you away. But no, I think you're right to draw attention to, to the score right off the bat. Right. So we continue to watch this baby kind of just float down this sewer area. And we see the basket finally come to a stop in front of a bunch of penguins. And then the screen says 33 years later. So kind of a, Bit of a slower start to the film. We're actually about six minutes in before we get any kind of real dialogue here. And then we're at the lighting of the tree in Gotham City. And we have a quick shot of the penguin's hands watching from the sewer. And then we cut to Alfred, who's played by the late great Michael Goff. And he's being sold a newspaper by a young Sean Whalen here. The paper says, Penguin Man, myth or something worse? Now we cut to our first shot of Max Shrek. And Selena Kyle played respectfully by Christopher Walken and Michelle Pfeiffer. Jeff, let's talk about some casting here, man. What do you think about two of our uh, main leads here? Yeah, you know, I like both actors in both roles. Uh, they they bring their own unique style uh, to it. Uh, Christopher Walken, one of the you know great character actors, and Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, very hot, very sexy you know, kind of plays that role to, you know, kind of the bumbling secretary to then becoming Catwoman. I think she does a great job with that. Yeah, exactly. To to the point where this is one of the interesting facts about the movie. When they put out the actual poster and she was on it, 
they had such an issue with people stealing the posters off of subways that they had to put police on duty to watch I the do posters. I remember that. So if you, that. if you have one, they're worth a pretty penny, too. Just because all the ones they made pretty much all got taken by somebody. So, yeah, if you have one, oh. tweet at us. I'd love to see it. Is stealing the posters <laughs> off the wall in the subways? No. I love your walking. Alright. <laughs> Selena interrupts in the meeting with Shrek and says that or I'm sorry. Selena interrupts the meeting and Shrek says they haven't properly housebroken her, but on the plus side, she makes one hell of a cup of coffee. We see his son <laughs> Chip for the first time. JD, I'm hoping you you recognize this guy. Do you know who plays Chip? You know what? I I recognize him as somebody that I should recognize. Yes. It's not Scott Bakula. It's not. Andrew no. Bernarski, who plays Steve Lattimore in the program. No way. Are you serious? Sure is. Because he later goes on to play a Leatherface in one of the Texas Chainsaw Massacres, doesn't he? Sure yes, does. and, a, and a brief role in Street Fighter as Zengriff, the Russian representative uh, for the world in Street Fighter. Uh, 1994's uh, poor attempt at a uh, video game with Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh, the late, great Raul Julia. He was so talented. Yeah, we love it. In our archives, Adam's Family. Check it out. Good episode. Let's talk a little bit about the speech here, and we're going to actually listen to our first clip first, but uh, Max is about to give a speech and he's kind of talking in front of a, a crowd in Gotham City here. So let's play the clip. We'll be back on the other side here. So, yeah, Jeff, what, what do you think of this scene here with, with Max and uh, Selena kind of dropping the ball here on the whole speech? Yeah, you know what? I actually kind of like that part a little bit because, if anything, it kind of shows a little human side uh, to Max kind of going off the cuff and, and giving a speech from the heart rather than some, you know, political speech. Now, as the speech wraps, we see a float make its way into the scene. It's giant, like, present. And then we see clowns and skull face guys just shoot out of this thing and they zoom out on motorbikes. And then we also have a, a small role here from Vincent Scavelli, who's the organ grinder. And he says they want to speak with the man in charge. And step, Chip steps forward and he's like, well, they'll have to go through me. And he tells his dad to take off. 
And then chaos ensues, and we see these vigilantes just raiding the city, attacking people. And we have our first shot of Michael Keaton here sitting in the Batcave. The signal comes on, and moments later, the Batmobile appears. Of course, Batman cleans house pretty quickly. But JD, let's talk about how awesome this Batmobile is. This is one of my favorite cars in any movie. What do you think about seeing it here for the first time in Batman Returns? I really do love the evolution of the Batmobile across the franchise up until it gets to whatever the hell they have in Batman Begins with a rumbler or tumbler or whatever. I hated that thing. Yeah. So next, Selina is grabbed by this clown and Batman shoots into the the wall and saves her by just like shoots his, um, I don't even know what those things are, but he just pulls out the wall behind the guy, knocks him out. And then they kind of like have like, hook. there you go. Let me, yeah, let me redo that. So next, Selina is grabbed by the clown. Batman uses his grappling hook to pull the wall from behind this guy, knock him out cold. And then they have a bit of an awkward encounter. She even comments to herself after he leaves. She's like, oh, that's how all the encounters with men go in my life. Uh, Commissioner Gordon makes his entrance and thanks Batman for saving the day. Overall, though, Jeff, what do you think about this scene in our first glimpse of Batman in action here? You know, it, it was it was nice, short and sweet. It kind of showed improvements made on the Batmobile. Um, Batman's fighting style, you know, he's able to move a little more than he was in the in the first one. Um, right. As well as is, it's kind of funny how everything's all kind of cleaned up and Batman's like, all right, peace out. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Batcave and go hang out now. Um, good luck cleaning up this mess. Maybe he went through McDonald's because they always had those cool commercials back in the day. Well, you know, funny enough, they actually did have the Batman Returns toys for the oh, yeah. uh, movie, and McDonald's wasn't too happy about the final result, uh, especially with the Penguin uh, giving out that green sludge. Uh, didn't want to spoil <laughs> anything for later on uh, yeah. in the movie, <laughs> but that's one thing they they weren't crazy about. Ah, hey, McDonald's for sure stick the cheeseburgers and nuggets and fuck off. Well, yeah, we we don't need their opinion on the actual movie. We cut underneath the city to the Penguin's sewer lair, and we see Danny DeVito as the Penguin for the first time. Man, JD, I think this might be my favorite Danny DeVito movie in his entire career. Uh, obviously, I love Always Sunny, but it's not a movie. So what what do you think about him as, in the uh, Penguin role? He is kind of summoning some of his twins aesthetic, I think. A little bit. Um, obviously, he's they're, they're, it's so difficult to imagine any other actor as the Penguin. I, and, I can't think of who else would have possibly been in that casting room. No, it, it has to be him. It was, he was born to play this role. I feel like there was a time travel device that when we go back to the 60s they were like we're going to invent somebody named danny defito who will (laughs) one day embody this character that we're creating yeah now he mentioned that he had been reading in the newspapers that he was like the lead to get this role for a year prior to them even making a phone call to him and then jack nicholson who's a good buddy of his was like yeah you need to take this role if they offer it to you because you're going to make a ton of money by the way, he's he made like ninety million off of Batman. Uh, Jack Nicholson still reaping in the money, I'm sure. Residual. Yeah, so. I was gonna I was gonna pass along that fun fact too. 
Now, Shrek is down in the lair. Let's listen to this scene. My God is strong. And the man, the sewer. Frankly, I feel that's a bum rap. I'm a businessman. Tough, yes. Shrewd, okay. But that does not make me a monster. Don't embarrass yourself, Max. I know all about you. What you hide, I discover. What you put in your toilet, I place on my mantle. Get the picture. What is that supposed to hypnotize me? No. Just give you a splitting headache. It's not working. Jeff, what do you think about this? Shrek and Penguin kind of working on the same side? I don't know if I like this, but it's a pretty cool scene. What do you think? I actually kind of like this scene because it it gave uh, the Penguin an opportunity for some blackmail. And that's what kind of is his forte because he doesn't really have a lot of superpowers. Yeah, he's got a, a thousand umbrellas that do, you know, various shootings and flying and all this other stuff. Right. But, um, you know, I, I like the scene where, you know, he pulls out, you know, Max says that, you know, what you don't have any proof. And he goes and he pulls out the shredded, pa- shredded papers and goes a lot of time and a lot of patience and a lot of tape. <laughs> now we cut to Selena, who's arrived home after a long day of work. She feeds her cat. She plays a couple of voice messages Now, it appears that Selena is pretty lonely. She's kind of living in this tiny apartment. She's a cat woman. I mean, JD, from a writing standpoint, do you like this kind of setup for a character? Oh, I totally do. I think it's a great and unique way of sort of setting her up and establishing who she is without necessarily jamming it down your throat. And I find it so unique that you use the word cat woman to describe her own personality traits before she becomes the Catwoman, which wow. I will have qualms with coming up. Um, but at the same time, she is that sort of laid back, crazy cat lady in that personality before she embodies it. Wow, that, that's a, that's great that you caught that because that wasn't me trying to be like quick and witty. Like, check out Catwoman over here. Like, I let just that's just how I described her. Without even thinking no, and about that's it, so. I I know that you're not that intelligent. Don't worry. Oh, well, good point. Uh, <laughs> point, Justin. The next day, Shrek and Selena are alone in the building, and he's being a real creep. Like just from the beginning here, like you can see it in his eyes, and eventually he starts to get more aggressive. And Selena stands up, and Shrek says, "What did curiosity do to the cat?" And he tells her that this is his power plant and it's his legacy and he's going to leave something behind it for Chip. She's like, what are you going to do? Kill me? And he's like, no, come on. Uh, I wouldn't get... Just pushes her right out the window. So she goes falling down, crashes onto the concrete, and we see cats immediately start surrounding her and eventually her eyes start to roll back into her head like the Undertaker. And then we cut back to this apartment. Now she has this like really cool looking just dead eye look at this point she chugs a whole thing of milk then she goes into the bedroom and just starts making an outfit after pretty much destroying her apartment and freaking out uh, jeff what what do you think about this whole scene here you know I, it, it's a nice transition because no one really knows the origin story uh, of catwoman so each movie has its own 
you know, way uh, of taking it. This was a unique one in, in letting cats be kind of encompass her and just saying, yeah, you know, you have more to do. So kind of get up and let's get things started. So it, it's interesting when she walks into the apartment, as you said, she kind of destroys stuff and she smashes up one of her lights. And from a distance, it just says hell here. <laughs> so um, I, I kind of like that repertoire of like, you know, of, of things to come that are going to kind of go straight to hell. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think Michelle Pfeiffer is awesome in this scene. And I mean, for you, like, is she your favorite Catwoman? There's been a couple different iterations. You know, that's uh, for this genre. Sure. I mean, the only thing I mean, Anne Hathaway was fine. And but, you know, I personally always like the Adam West series. Yeah. So you got, you know, Lee Merriweather, you have Eartha Kitt. I'm a little offended you didn't mention Halle Berry, because she's just a smoke show. But we'll, we'll let I, I honestly don't count that as I know uh, I don't as part of it. But yeah, God bless her. She looks great. Uh, now we don't see a close up of the new Catwoman quite yet. We kind of see her from a distance. So we're gonna cut to a public address downtown Gotham. A clown comes out and takes a baby from one of the big wigs. And then goes into the sewer and hands the baby right to Penguin, who comes up on a riser through the sewer and gives the baby back. This, of course, kind of makes him the good guy, or in wrestling terms, he's the baby face. Uh, And the Penguin is on TV giving his first public speech, and he's talking about being born in a sewer. And Bruce is actually watching the TV, and he tells Alfred, man, I hope, hope he finds his parents. And then we cut to the Hall of Records. And the press want to get in. They want to ask him questions and get more into who he is. But Shrek comes out and tells them to give the penguin some space so he can do his research. We have a pretty long scene here where we see Penguin visiting his parents' tombstone and he exits the cemetery. And it's just kind of, it's it's drawn out. It's got a cool score behind it. Uh, But let's listen to a clip here where he's going to talk to the press. A penguin is a bird that cannot fly. I am a man. I have a name. Oswald Cobblepot. Mr. Cobblepot, you never get a chance to settle up with him, huh? True. I was their number one son, and they treated me like number two. But it's human nature to fear the unusual. Perhaps when I held my Tiffany baby rabbit with a shiny flipper instead of five chubby digits, they freaked. Jeff, what what do you think of this speech from the Penguin? It was nice, you know, but I, I have to go back to the Hall of Records. I mean, it was really a lot. It was very confusing on how exactly he came up with the name and was able to pull it. I, I didn't know if it was going based on age or time. I mean, luckily enough, his real name is Oswald Cobblepot, you know, and not... Uh, Zarevsky, and otherwise we'd be there for another 40 minutes with 
he tries to figure out what his name is. Um, that's the only thing I was a little bit confused on how exactly he came up with the name and, and what details he used to, to figure out that he, his name was Oswald Cobblepot. See, yeah. I always thought that it had something to do with the, they have the, what, what the hell is it called when you, you ink? Apparently this is something you do with kids and the, there's the footprints on. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I guess that's a thing. So I always kind of... Maybe fingerprints or footprints, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> it has something to do with that where he, he sees the one and realizes it's not a normal handprint or fingerprint or footprint, so he's just kind of flipping through them until he's oh, like... Okay. He, he's literally um, flipping through the pages. Oh, the wait a second. That's Lower. right. Oh, it's a foreshadow for later in the movie. Now I remember. So the press and the people of Gotham really eat up this penguin speech. We hear them talking about it in the next scene as they kind of walk through the city. And then we have our first full look at Catwoman here as she plays some tic-tac-toe on this dude's face. <laughs> JD, I'm, I, this is a cool scene. Catwoman, hear me roar. What would you think of her look in this scene here? The thing that I really want to comment on is the amount of women and female empowerment that really is in her character that they do and they bring up without jamming it down your throat throughout this entire film. Because the whole I'm woman, hear me roar thing. And I, I just saw Dark Phoenix, you know, just recently and the, the whole part where Mystique is like, let's call him ex-women. And the yeah. whole crowd in the theater just sort of groaned, and they're like, we get it. Uh, but here in 1992, it was a much different thing to have this sort of empowerment given to her, and I thought it was fantastic. Next, Shrek says, I'd offer you a coffee, but my assistant's on vacation, and we see Bruce Wayne enter Shrek's office, and Bruce wants to know the angle, and he's kind of, Shrek's explaining, like, the power surplus, and... And they kind of argue back and forth, and then Shrek calls him a silver spoon kid, and they're about to go nose to nose when Selena enters the room with Chip, and Shrek's like, what the hell is she doing here? And then Shrek asks her if she injured herself on that ski slope, and Selena says that, you know, last night was kind of a blur, and, you know, I, I don't know, couldn't she just die? And she escorts Batman out of the room, and Chip closes the door, and then in the hallway, Selena comments that Bruce doesn't look like the type of guy who would do business with someone like Shrek. And then we get back into the office and Chip wants to know if he buys this whole like amnesia thing. And Max says, eh, I got bigger fish to fry. And if she messes with me, I'll drop her out a higher window. Next, Shrek visits Penguin and he tells him to come down the stairs. He's got a surprise for him. And <laughs> I love that he's, if you're a parent, you'll understand this reference. He's just wearing like this dirty onesie, just a <laughs> fat blob, dirty onesie. And he gets down to the stairs. He's eating this raw fish and Shrek tells him that he's got the magic and we can't deny this. And he calls him the mayor and Penguin is a little, he's like, isn't it a little late? The elections being in November and we're in December and that doesn't seem to stop Shrek at all. And we see uh, a poster on the wall. It says Oswald Cobblepot, mayor, with a photo of him with an umbrella. And then a guy in glasses comes over and says, not a lot of reflective surfaces down in the sewer. And they all start laughing. And the penguin says, ah, still could be worse. My nose could be gushing blood. 
And the guy's like, no. And Penguin's like, ah! Just bites him in the nose, and we see blood gushing everywhere. And Trek doesn't even acknowledge it. He just tells him that he has a real chance here. And Penguin agrees to be mayor. And before the scene closes, he turns to the room and says, burn, baby, burn. Jeff, what do you think of this scene? You know, I, I like this. This is actually, they take this out of the Adam West Batman series where uh, Merge Meredith uh, uh, runs for mayor as the Penguin. And um, so I, I kind of like they go old school with uh, this uh, one of the side stories with Penguin as him running the mayor. Side note, he was almost cast in this movie, but because he just physically couldn't do it, they had to cut it out. And I guess that's where we insert Pee Wee Herman, but he was going to play the father. And kind of be the cameo role at the beginning. So Yes, yeah. That would have been pretty cool. I mean, it'd be unrealistic that a 95-year-old man would be having a newborn baby, but I'm sure they could have pulled it off with some makeup. We cut to a montage of the Penguins men just destroying the city and literally catching it on fire with explosives. And we see Batman kind of on the ground level fighting off the crime. Catwoman enters, and this time... She's got her whip in hand, and she's just whipping heads off of mannequins in a department store. And then two security guards show up, and one of them says, I don't know whether the open fire or the fall in love. And they pull out their pistols, and she just like, get them right out of her hands. And then Batman encounters this huge... I, I thought this was Bam Bam Bigelow, but it's not. But he looked like Bam Bam Bigelow, <laughs> and he punches the guy in the face, and he's totally unfazed. But then he looks down and sees that Batman's strapped him with an explosive and Batman just punches him and throws him over the ledge. And then he turns the corner. We see Penguin and Batman in the same scene for the first time. So let's listen to the two interact. Admire your handiwork. Touring the riot scene. Gravely assessing the devastation. Upstanding mayor stuff. You're not the mayor. Things change. What do you want? Ah, the direct approach. I admire that in a man with a mask. I kind of love the end of the scene here with Catwoman blowing up a building and kind of entering the picture. And now we have all three of them. But what do you think of just hearing Batman and Penguin for the first time? There's something about their characters that both share something in common, obviously with their shared backstory of losing their parents. And Penguin is pretending to be this elite, rich type person. You know, as he's running for mayor and Bruce Wayne tries to pretend that he's not this elite type person. So there's a lot of juxtaposition between the two of them. And I love the way that Catwoman literally cuts the tension by just doing this like backflip out of the building. And she's has no clue that they're there. And she's kind of like, what's up, y'all? 
Yeah, it's pretty badass what she does. Batman and Catwoman are going to go at it here. So they're attacking each other. He finally throws uh, a punch. And she's like, how could you? I'm a woman. And then she attacks him again. And this time he's uh, barely hanging on here. Uh, actually, to the end of her whip, I believe. And then he throws some type of potion at her and knocks her back. And she starts falling off the roof. And she's like clawing to stay on there. And then Batman grabs her and pulls her up to safety. And then she wants to know who's the man behind the mask. And maybe we can find out who's the woman behind the cat. So she starts touching around his abs and finds out where he's vulnerable. And then jabs those sharp fingers right into his side. And he backhands her here and she goes crashing down off the building, lands on a kitty litter truck. And she says, saved by the kitty litter. And then she calls him a bastard. But <laughs> Jeff, what do you think of the fight scene here between the two? Uh, you know, if we're 1993, it was a good, or, or sorry, 1992, it was, it was a good, um, fight, you know, a nice yeah. introduction that, you know, doesn't make Batman, um, misogynistic and, you know, doesn't really, you know, leave Catwoman as like damsel in distress, you know, kind of gives her, you know, some good looks in, he gets some good looks in and, um, yeah, even that, even that, like you said, that the potion, the slippery slope that she kind of can't grasp on uh, was kind of interesting but again that just kind of wonders where he gets these wonderful toys we cut to the penguin announcing that he's running for mayor one of the reporters goes over and makes a phone call res- right away and says cobblepot who's been romancing gotham has just announced his candidacy for mayor as well cobblepot is a button of himself to a, a good y- looking young lady gets a little handsy <laughs> with this young lady in the front row and then he makes his way up to his office where he's told by the organ grinder that someone's here to see you. And we see Catwoman laying on the bed. He says, ha, just the pussy I've been looking for. She tells him that they have something in common. Oswald tries to guess. And one of his guesses is naked sexual charisma. She's like, no, Batman. He's a thorn in our side. The fly in our ointment. Oswald is like, ointment, send it or not send it. He runs over to the bed table and Catwoman says, we must turn Batman into what he hates most. One of us he says, okay, yeah, we can frame him. As they're talking, Catwoman grabs the penguin's bird, puts it in her mouth, and then he makes his way over to the cat and he's about ready to uh, do something to the cat when she releases the bird out of her mouth. I thought this was a pretty cool scene here. And one of the interesting facts that I found out about the movie is Michelle Pfeiffer wasn't happy with the the fake bird, so actually put a real one in her mouth. JD, what do you think though? No, obviously I'm going to go ahead and and skirt away from the obvious Michelle Pfeiffer sticking something in her mouth joke. Yeah, that the audience probably expects us to make here, and I just want to talk about the tangible of really putting a bird in your mouth. I just the wings and the feathers and the, the little feet would just be clawing at you. I just don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like it. Yeah, the beak too. I mean, yeah, I it was uh, amazing. Just And it wasn't like the tiniest thing in the world either. It was large. Uh, and she did get it all the way down her throat. Really? We, we are going to make those jokes? I, it, I'm not that I'm just only talking about the bird. Wistful. He's wistful. 
Next, the Penguin challenges the mayor to relight the Christmas tree. He says that he hopes and prays that Batman will be present to witness this. And then Bruce runs into Selina on the street. She appears to be doing like a little Christmas shopping, also very preoccupied. We see a newspaper that says Batman blows it. And Bruce is like, that's that's not even true. He he probably saved the, the city millions of dollars. And he's like really defensive. And then Bruce says that she has a bit of a dark side. And he invites her over for an early dinner. And she agrees to come. JD, a little bit of a throwaway scene here. But what do you think of this? It's cool because it, again, establishes who their individual characters and personalities are in front of and behind the mask. The Ice Princess is getting ready in the next scene when the Penguin enters, and I assume he injures her, but we don't really see anything. He throws Batman's Batarang at her, and then it just cuts. But let's listen to a clip here of Selina and Bruce talking on the couch. I'm sure he's wonderful company, but doesn't the gold-plated bachelor bit get a little stale? A lot like the lonely secretary syndrome I get. Executive assistant. Oh, sorry. Secretary. Are you girlfriend? Sure. Oh, you mean, uh, as in serious? Uh, no. Had one. Didn't work. What went wrong? Hang on. I think I know. You kept things from her. No, I told her everything. Huh? And the truth frightened her? Well, there are two truths. You know, and she had trouble reconciling them because I had trouble, um, reconciling them. Vicky thought. Vicky? Ice skater or stewardess? <laughs> no, she was a um, photojournalist. Well, was Vicky right about your difficulty with duality? See, if I say yes, then um, you're going to think of me as a uh, Norman Bates. Uh, Ted Bundy type and uh, well you might not let me kiss you Jeff what do you think of this scene you know I, I kind of like this because this almost kind of you know throws back to that will they won't they dynamic that always has gone between Batman and uh, Catwoman or Bruce Wayne and Selina whichever you know persona you want to you know, go with. Uh, so I, uh, I liked the fact that they both were kind of covering their injuries as they were kind of going along like, Oh wait, you can't touch there. Oh, <laughs> get, uh, although that was one ugly looking, um, scab that, uh, Catwoman there had on, on her elbow. I don't know. Looked like, uh, uh, something had grown out of it a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. And you know, this is uh it's an interesting scene because we get some Vicky veil background as well. And we kind of find yes. out why she's not in this picture, as they would uh, they would say in the business. I think it's a good scene, good story arc, and uh, Selena is gaining confidence in every scene. It seems like so. Yeah, and that's what I like. It's the progression of, you know, to the true 
confidence that Catwoman has, you know, saying like, nobody can put me down. It's in the walk. It's in what she says and how she says it. It's a nice transition. Now on the TV, Commissioner Gordon comes on the screen and he's holding the battering in a plastic bag. He says that the Ice Princess has gone missing and he calls the evidence purely substantial. Bruce and Selena both start to think about ideas of how to get out of their date. And so Bruce goes in the other room and tells Alfred to make an excuse. And he comes up with like three or four, but he's like, just, just make something up. And then Alfred goes to tell Selena and she does the same thing. And then we're in the Batcave next. The door lowers and we see the bat suit and gear. JD, I love the fact that there just is a closet full of suits and gear. And, and he like actually like picks through them. He's like, nah, I'll go with number seven. I, th- I think that it's unique, especially as we can harken back to the fact that you don't own a suit. No, Mm-mm. just a sports coat. So you are as far from Batman as as removed as humanly possible. Right. You're not even an adult. Mm-hmm. You know, I also kind of like to think that each suit is unique, saying that, um, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but maybe he's thinking, oh, maybe I'll have to skydive over the crowd in the next adventure. That's a good point. It's very James Bond in that that regard. Yes. Money pussy. That's not bad. (laughs) That's your line though, JD. (laughs) Money pussy, yeah. We're downtown next. The people are promised that everything is well in hand. Meanwhile, in the back alleyway, the Penguins men have broken into the Batmobile and they're rewiring the car. We cut to the top of the building where Batman is standing, where he sees the Ice Princess tied to a chair. So he shoots the grappling gun across and swings over to the building. And he enters, and the Ice Princess says, Don't worry, I'll just, I'll tell everyone that it was some smelly man with fish breath, fish breath that got me. And then Catwoman swings in and kicks Batman. She's like, Oh, did you say fish? I haven't been fed all day. Batman tells her to eat floor, and they go back and forth, kicking the crap out of each other. Catwoman frees the ice princess and then uses the whip to kind of corral her. And she says, gotta go girl talk and just exits out the back. We smash back to the Batmobile again. One of the clowns puts some type of, it's like a roaming device, just giving them control of the car and it puts it underneath. And we go back on top of the building where the ice princess is at the top, standing on the ledge. Batman tells her not to move, but before she can, before he can get to her, the saver, Penguin enters and says, Lawn dart! And throws an umbrella, which releases the bats, and she falls off the ledge, crashing onto the tree lighting uh, trigger and turning on the lights, and all these bats release. Jeff, this is a really long scene, so just to break it up, Jeff, what do you think of the scene so far? Uh, you know, it, it, it's a nice, uh, like, oh, hey, here's a good way to get Batman in trouble, but I'm kind of thinking, okay, how does one get a thousand bats all in a tree in a net mm. uh, or in some kind of like, you know, are they in a giant umbrella? You know, <laughs> that's what I'm also kind of wondering. I know you have to kind of put the what if or, you know, the magic movie magic aside. But if you're looking at the town square and thinking, hmm, how can we get everyone to go against Batman? Let's put a bunch of bats in there. Right. So the police look up and they're like, he pushed her. And then we go up on top of the building where the police shoot at Batman before Commissioner Gordon can step in and tell him to hold their fire. Batman falls down to the next level where Catwoman is there to straddle him, which lucky bastard. 
Uh, she tells him that she's to, yeah, she tells him that she's to die for. And he looks up at the mistletoe and says, it can be deadly if you eat it. And she says, well, a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. She licks his face. And then she tells him that he's the second man that's killed her this week. She tells him that maybe he should retire. He's getting weak. And he pushes her off of him and then stands on the ledge. His arms go out and his bat wings open, which is just badass. And he flies down into the city. So we cut to the goons who have closed up the Batmobile. Go back up top to the top of the building where Penguin is toasting with Catwoman. And he wants to uh, consummate their union. He wants to get her in the sheets. And he describes what will happen in the bedroom, but she's really not feeling it. Penguin accuses her of sending him all the signals. And he says she should be spayed and he doesn't like her anymore. So he attaches her to the umbrella and she ascends to the sky. She finally frees herself to crash into a giant glass building. And she just sits up and screams and the rest of the glass breaks. Meanwhile, Penguin has put together a Batman ride where he controls everything. This thing is awesome. I don't know why it's not at arcades all over the country right now. Uh, I play constantly. (laughs) Batman gets in the car and Penguin comes on the screen and he's like, Welcome to the Oswald Cobblepot School of Driving. Start your screaming. And the car is just going all over the road, crashing in the buildings. Batman's frantically trying to find a solution. He pops in a CD or back then probably a compact disc. And it tells him that there's a foreign object located under the car. So he kind of punches through the floor pulls out the device right before the car the car's about to run over this old lady and meanwhile the penguin just screams in his little tiny bat car and then my favorite part of the scene though is where the car is um about to go through this like really tight space between these two buildings and he just like the car just like sheds everything it just turns into like this missile jd what do you think of this epic scene though First of all, I kind of worry that Tim Burton doesn't know how cars work. Okay. You don't just punch a hole into the floor <laughs> and get underneath to like that's, that's not how cars work. I'm gonna try that tomorrow. I'm I know you will. Probably gonna break my hand. But on a, on a more serious note, I think that this scene's a great example of, from a writing standpoint, of looking at putting your main character through hell and back and giving him goals him or her sorry excuse me giving your hero or heroine goals stakes and urgency so we essentially have a miniature scene that exists in its own right throughout the rest of the story where batman has a predicament in front of him where he has a goal get out of this situation urgency don't die and the stakes obviously are death. So it's, it's a really cool little mini scene that they really just plug into the bigger picture. So from a writing standpoint, it's, it's a phenomenal little ditty. Yeah. Now cobble pot's going to begin his speech to the city in the next scene. And uh, we see, we get to see it cuts the Bruce here and he's got this amazing hidden bat cave door. And I swear if I ever just make a shit ton of money, I am creating some type of bat door where you have to open it through the fish tank. Is it not the coolest thing you've ever seen, Jeff? Yeah, definitely. I I also want a secret room. Um, although I might pay homage again to the Adam West and have a uh, head statue of William Shakespeare. Okay. Then they open up and twist on and twist off and then actually have bat poles. Yeah. 
The only thing that kind of bummed me out about this, I was like, this is so cool. He gets down into the Batcave and Alfred is maybe five seconds behind him. Hey, like, man, I think Alfred's got his own like secret way, maybe a giant slide. He's getting older. <laughs> yeah, he did say. But he, I thought that was funny. <laughs> it, that's funny. Like that's almost the, the over dramatic hidden nature of Batman. And like even going back to the scene when we first are seeing Bruce Wayne when he's in the library and it's all dark and he's just staring off into the distance and then the bat signal hits and he's like, "Somebody needs me." It's so over dramatic. Right. I think it's on par for the rest of the movie. And I think it's a, a good, clever little, little nod. So Bruce goes into the Batcave and he jams the frequency of the Cobblepot speech and it starts to play some audio. Um, there's a first clip and then the second audio that they play says, this stinking city is like a heart from hell. And it just repeats over and over again. The crowd starts to turn on him and boo him. And then Selena, now out of her cat suit, is watching from the back. Shrek looks at Penguin and just kind of shrugs his shoulders. And that's when they start firing the old tomatoes and eggs. And the Penguin covers up with his umbrella and he's like, ah, Why is there always someone that brings eggs to a speech? And the umbrella starts to fire bullets at the crowd. And then Penguin starts to waddle his fat ass through the city. Eventually jumping into the river as he is avoiding the, the police. And he gets to his sewer lair. And as he arrives home, he says, Ha, ah, I missed you guys. He's talking to all his little baby penguins. One of the clowns says, Hey man, great speech. And he catches a backhand from him. And he starts yelling, I'm not a human being. I'm an animal. And he tells them to blast the AC and to bring him his list of firstborn children in Gotham City. He explains that, they will snatch the babies from their safe home and bring them into the sewer and they will toss them into a watery grave. One of the clowns speaks up and thinks that he's taking it too far, which Penguin shoots him with the umbrella gun. JD, what do you think about this? Penguin, he doesn't want to be called Chester. He's kind of lost his mind. I love it. Yeah, he's, he's losing his mind and it's great to see him reverting to his more animalistic form. Which, yeah. to me, does a great job of establishing who he is as a character with his personality type and the roller coaster ride that he goes through coming from the sewers, making his way back to the surface, and then yeah, back to Crazy Town. <laughs> He's talking to El Penguinos. Oh, yeah. So and the- I love the way he murders dude. He just, <laughs> oh, you, you, you dare talk back to me? Boom, you're dead. Fuck about yeah. you. Yeah, and the backhand to the guy that was like, hey, great speech, pal. Like, ah! I almost him. feel like that was Danny DeVito just improvising. Like, yeah. I feel like if he wins an award, if he gets like an, an Emmy or an, a Tony or whatever it is, like he would walk off the stage and somebody would be like, hey, great job, Danny. And he'd be like, ah! and he'd backhand him. Let's get back to the Batcave. Alfred wants to know if they should RSVP to a party. And Bruce is like, no, no, no. Don't say anything. And then he rethinks. He's like, well, Selena might be there. So he shows up at the party. He has a quick encounter with Shrek and then spots the beautiful Selena walking down the stairs. He goes over to apologize. And Selena says, no problem. I had to go home and feed my cat anyway. Bruce asks if there's any hard feelings. And she whispers in his ear that there's a big old California king size bed up in the other room. And she wants to take him to pound town. Or maybe the other way around. I don't know. Bruce asked why she came. And then she he insinuates that maybe she's there because of Max. 
and that makes her laugh and she kind of also at the same time pulls up her dress and jabs a handgun into his stomach which I love she's just she's also losing her marbles and she basically tells him that she's sick of people like that that keep on winning when they should be six feet under Bruce asks who the hell she thinks she is and she says I don't know I don't know anymore Bruce and then they start to make out which doesn't make a lot of sense and she just looks up and says oh a mistletoe you know a mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it and then he responds with well a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it and then they both kind of back away stare at each other as the light bulb goes off that they both have blown under their cover and she asks if they're gonna have to start fighting now and Bruce says we should step outside Jeff what do you think of this scene so far uh, I liked it. It, it, it because Catwoman always really knew that Bruce Wayne was really Batman and vice versa. And, and it, Batman knew that, you know, she was always Catwoman was Selena Kyle. So they kind of had um, a nice tie in to past, um, you know, episodes and comics where, you know, they had that love triangle. But, you know, they never really fully consummated the um, relationship. God, we want them to, though, don't we? As they go to uh, go outside, the floor just blows up. Everybody gets thrown, and the penguin enters with his rubber ducky float. And he says, you didn't invite me, so I crashed. And he says that right now his troops are fanning out across the town for your children. Yes, your firstborn sons, the ones you left alone at home defenseless, so you could get juiced and dance badly. He gets off the float and says that he personally came for Gotham's first son, Mr. Chip Shrek. And he tells him that he's coming with me. He's the great white dope. Max tries to take his son's spot, which Penguin kind of refuses at first, but Max talks him into it, and he tells him to go to the duck. JD, what do you think of this scene? I thought this was pretty pretty cool with the explosives and just more crazy Penguin. It is a crazy scene. And it really elevates sort of the homicidal behavior that Penguin really inhibits. Yeah. But at the same time, it creates like this cool juxtaposition between Shrek. Oh, it's me, Matt <laughs> Shrek. And Danny DeVito. I do a bad Danny DeVito. It's all right. You do a great Shrek. You're off the hook. <laughs> oh, it hurts my throat. That's what she said. Um <laughs> So my, my point being that I'm trying to make is for all that Penguin thinks he is for this great manipulative, you know, terrorist, Max Shrek is able to easily manipulate him. Mm-hmm. No, take me. You don't want him. It's me. You want. I'll come to you. And that like that, that's how it goes. And he's like, yeah, that is what I want. And he, he's just... So basically, he's he's living in the mindset of a child, of somebody who's been so removed from the surface that he's so easily manipulated by a slick-talking CEO. Right. Down in the Penguin's Lair, Max is being kept in this giant birdcage. And I, I just I think we have to talk about this a little bit. How amazing are these set pieces here? They're really cool. I mean, it, it almost has that gothic you know, Tim Burton feel, you know, from the city to the penguins layer. And, um, you know, it has that cold, dank, dark feeling. Yeah. The greenish water, even it's not even like clear blue. It's, 
you know, that has some kind of gook in it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like the feel uh, and the look of it. Yeah, I read that they spent half a million dollars on storing set pieces from the first movie. And that at one point, they had taken up about 50% of the lots at Warner Brothers for this movie. So just a ton of money spent on set pieces and just keeping everything intact. So I think that deserves a little shout out there. Now, we're going to cut to the organ grinder driving a train car down the middle of the street. And they're starting to load up these small children from the homes when Batman appears ripping the grinder out of his train car. And then we cut down into the sewer where a monkey hands Penguin a note and it's on Batman stationery, which I got to get my hands on. I hope that's on, on eBay. And it reads, Dear Penguin, the children regret they're unable to attend Batman. Penguin screams and we cut to him giving a speech to a whole like colony of penguins. Let's take a listen to the speech here. What do you think of the speech? Uh, it, it was very moving. I mean, if I was a penguin, I would certainly go into battle for him. Yeah. And it was it was a nice takeoff of Patton, uh, you know, where he kind of feels like no guts, no glory. Let's do it all for us. And they're like, yeah, all right, you're the boss. <laughs> yep. And they just dove beak first right into that water. Strap a missile to their back. So. The penguins jump into the water, they head to higher ground, and then we cut to Batman, who's now in his bat ski boat. Just another amazing uh, thing that they put together for this movie. Uh, So he's kind of avoiding missiles as he drives through this tunnel, and there's a countdown going on for the penguins to launch their missiles, but Alfred is able to jam the signal, and they lead away from the, uh, it kind of leads them away from the downtown area. And the lady who was giving the countdown says there's something coming this way. It's it's very large. And we see the penguin kind of look down the river. And as he as he's doing that, like all his men in that area start to leave in fear. And he jumps in his rubber ducky and it just heads for higher grounds. But as he gets up there, Batman's jumped the curve here, so to speak, and jumped right on top of the boat. And he gets out to look for Penguin, who jumps onto his back, and he's just like, "Yeah!" So Penguin tells him that he's just jealous of him, and what it comes down to is who's holding the umbrella. And he kind of points it at Batman, but Batman pulls out the detonator, and it starts to beep. Penguin looks and sees that all of the penguins have surrounded them, and he yells, My babies! And they fight back and forth as the rockets start to launch from the backs of the penguins. Batman punches him and knocks him down back into the river. And we cut to Shrek, who's managed to get the keys from the monkey. 
JD, what we, we don't get much dialogue, but what do you think Shrek might have said to the monkey to uh, convince him to give him the keys? Oh, monkey, little shiny in your paw, bring them to me now. Must escape. See, he opens up the door to his little cage here, and as he steps out, we hear the sound of the whip, and Shrek falls into the water, and as he finally gets out, he sees Catwoman, and now her hair's kind of hanging out of her her, uh, her outfit here, exposing her blonde hair, and he tells her that he can get a, he can get her what she wants, but Catwoman isn't having any of this. She says that she wants his blood, which he replies, well, I gave mine at the office. Just totally out of it. And then Batman <laughs> swoops down and tries to reason with Selina, and he wants to just take him to the police, let them deal with everything, and then they can just go home together. And he slowly approaches her and calls her Selina, and then tells her that they are the same, split right down the center, and he removes his mask. And he begs her to uh, to just do what they, just let the police handle this, just come with me. And she tells him that she would love to just live with him forever in his giant castle, but just like in the fairy tale, or just like in the fairy tale, but she slashes him across the face and says, but I just couldn't live with myself. Max says, Selena, you're fired. And then Bruce, <laughs> why are you dressed as Batman? Like, it's, it's like, because he is Batman, you idiot. And Max is like, oh. And then he shoots at her. And she says, oh, well, I still have six lives left. Do you have enough to finish me off? And he's like, only one way to find out. Shoots her two more times. She moves forward. She gets shot two more times. And then his gun's out of bullets. And she tells him that he has uh, two more left. And maybe she'll save one for Christmas. She fires up the taser gun, grabs hold of some metal, and says, how about a kiss, Santa Claus? And electrocutes him in the process. And just... I guess knocks herself down to one life. Jeff, what do you think of this scene so far as we kind of race toward the finish line? It, it, it's it, it's nice because it almost kind of you know plays off of that uh, Freddy Krueger you know two one two Freddy's coming for yep. you three four you know so it kind of has that feel and and even the look of you know Max's skeleton afterwards. You know, it is kind of like that frightening, you know, fried skeleton look as if there's a, you know, a way they look when they get fried. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And, uh, no, it, it was nice that, uh, you know, the bad guy got his in the end. I wonder what Max would have said if we could hear him talk in that moment as a skeleton, J.D. Ow, it hurts. The burning. It's like... My first sexual encounter. <laughs> so Penguin appears from the water and he has his sights set on Batman, but he's got some blood pouring out of his mouth. He's kind of struggling to breathe. And then we see the charred up Shrek, who still has the white hair, though. It still looks awesome. Uh, yeah. Penguin grabs an umbrella, but it's the cute one, he says. And as he turns, uh, Batman just kind of looks at him. And Penguin says he will murder him momentarily, but first I need a cold drink. And he just falls flat on his face. And then these penguins come waddling out and they drag his carcass into the water. And then we see his dead body float to the bottom. Kind of a cool shot underwater, too. Um, yeah, as the even the cook from his mouth kind of floats 
you know, around yeah. his body too. That slime. Yep. Yep. That's an awesome catch. And then we cut outside to Bruce in the back of the car with Alfred. This is probably later that night or next day. And Bruce sees what's uh, what appears to be Catwoman in the alley. So he has Alfred stop the car. But when he goes into the alleyway, all he can find is a black cat, which he picks up and takes with him back into the car. And they drive off. He gets back in and Alfred says, well, come what they may. Merry Christmas, Mr. Wayne. And Bruce says, Merry Christmas, Alfred. Goodwill towards men and women. The scene ends with a shot of Catwoman's head and the bat signal high in the sky. JD, what do you think about the ending of our movie here? I remember watching this for the first time and counting her lives because, you know, when you fall off a building, you're magically granted nine lives when a cat licks you. You know, no disrespect to the actual background story about how she is who she is. But I remember counting and then watching and being like, wait, no, she has one life. She's not dead. She has one life. And then to get that payoff in this, even rewatching this now in 2019, I was kind of like, yeah, that's awesome. She's still alive. (laughs) So, Jeff, the movie's 27 years old, man. How do you feel like it's held up over the years? I I honestly think it it holds up for the time as well as now. It, you know, those just those two specific movies, you know, uh, are standalone by themselves uh, because it brought Batman back to the mainstream media in 1990, 1992. Uh, I mean, I remember when there were lines, you had to wait in line around the corner for it to get into the movie because it was that popular and all the bat paraphernalia that was going around left and right. Absolutely. Now, do you feel like, and I'm I'm trying to do some quick research here as I ask this question here, but do you feel like that ending was made, was shot to set up a third movie? Oh, it it definitely was. Um, Well, no, I take that back. I, I think it was more of just showing that, you know, for people like Justin who was sitting there, counting her lives that she had one life left that she was still alive. Um, because I think another movie with her in it probably wouldn't have been the same. So I'm kind of glad they just kind of did the one and done, you know, with it, um, with her and it's, uh, cause I don't think they could have gone any further or any different directions with that character in, in in a sequel. So I, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you just ever so slightly for one reason. And that I, the, the one thing, and I'm a Marvel guy, but the one thing that I love about what DC does and has done and will always do and what Batman does and includes is Arkham Asylum. So at any given time, Batman can apprehend one of his rogue villains, have them remanded to Arkham, and they're out of circulation for however amount of time need be, and then they can always come back. Mm. So I don't like that the Penguin died. I don't like that the Joker died. And, you know, the fact that Catwoman is gone doesn't mean that if they kept this pace that she couldn't come back six movies down the road. True. Yeah, I could see that. That's a very good point. I think this was uh, before the time... um, Because actually, technically, it was right... It was before the uh, adventures of Batman started on the WB. Interesting. So, so I don't think that Arkham, although in the comics wasn't really 
talked out loud in in any of the any of the movies, um, any of those five movies that first came out. Um, Arkham was never really. Well, I take that back. Because Mister um, Freeze is broken out of Arkham. That's right. Actually, yes. Yeah. Um, or vice well, versa. Actually, they they put because uh, they put um, poison of uh, the the Riddler in Arkham in the third one. So actually, that's probably that that was the tie-in right there because that would have made sense of when the cartoon was on to introduce Arkham to say like, yeah, we have this uh, you know Arkham Asylum where we put all these crazy supervillains when you know they're we're trying to rehabilitate them, which I love. Yeah, very nice, man. Now, I want to get your guys' feedback on one thing here. This always kind of drives me nuts about actors, but and this kind of bumps me out a little bit even to uh, drop this knowledge here. But on an appearance on the WTF podcast with Mark Marin, Michael Keaton stated that he's actually never watched this movie, only bits and pieces. And he went on to explain that he only took the role because he needed money for a real estate deal. That bum you guys out as much as it does me. You know, honestly, not really, um, because um, I, I think at the time he got so much slack for you know Michael Keaton, the next Batman. What are you talking about? You know, and then all of a sudden everyone's you know did a total one eighty. They're like, oh my god, this is the greatest movie ever. I think that really did a number on him, um, especially. For you know, they're like, he's a comedian actor. He's not. He's not an action star. You know, I mean, it's the same. You know, terrible things that they said. Now, granted, of course, everyone has their own. You know, uh, feedback on Ben Affleck as Batman and Christian Bale, and now, of course, we're hearing you know Robert Pattinson. You know, and I heard someone the other day. I don't like that. Uh, that I the fact that I can beat up that Batman. How do you know you can beat up the Batman? Right. You know, you don't know what age he's going to be when they when they show the movie. You know, he could be, you know, they I mean, Gotham did a great job with that storyline. Yeah, I, I agree. And the whole and we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast, but um, Robert Pattinson, like he's done some really legit acting roles since Twilight. Like people are hating on him because he made just a buttload of money taking that role when he was first starting off in Hollywood. And since then, I mean, I feel like he's only picked amazing projects. So it's kind of allowed him to do what he really wanted and do more of the art house and the more dramatic roles because he made all that money. So yeah, versus I, Zach Efron, or uh, that that's taking every you know right. high school uh, or like comedy goofball, you know Baywatch and you know Neighbors and Mike and Dave get married and you know. I don't see him going for any dramatic role. And granted, yes, he did Ted Bundy, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't I mean, think we really want you know give him praise for a, a serial killer. <laughs> and the thing that gets me excited is he's kind of followed the same path as Heath Ledger, like he did Ten Things I Hate About You, and then all serious roles after that landed Batman, and that was like the role of a lifetime. Yeah, I still think to this day, if you know, if Heath Ledger had lived and he was in that third. Dark Knight, uh, oh man, just, you know, what kind of scenes they could have pulled, you know, the fact that they brought back Scarecrow, you know, mm-hmm. for for a bit scene, but I could just imagine what kind of chaos, you know, Joker would have would have been in that third one. 
Ah, man, we missed out on that. That's a bummer, but we could probably do this all night, but Jeff, we, we got to wrap it up here, man. So thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, one more time, just tell our audience where they can follow you and where they can see you perform improv at. Sure. Uh, you guys can follow me um, at Jay Kornbrot, uh, J-K-O-R-N-B-R-O-T on uh, Twitter and Instagram and all those other fun sites that where you need a, a handle of some kind. And I also uh, perform on uh, Friday and Saturday nights, uh, usually at the uh, West Side Improv in downtown Wheaton. That's uh, Wheaton's premier uh, improv studio, uh, voted number one in the Wheaton area uh, because it's the only one. So there it's the go. best one. Best coffee in town, right? Kind of like That's that. Right. <laughs> cool, man. Thanks again. You bet. All right. So. Again, follow Jeff, check him out online on Twitter, check him out at the improv. You can follow us on social media at Back in Time Pod. I'm at Kautry29, JD's at Unjust Justin. We will be back next week with all new episodes. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Castbox, and YouTube. And as always, if you have any ideas for the show, shoot us an email over at backintimepodcast at gmail.com. We love to get some emails from you guys. But that's it for now. Time to get back into the Batmobile. Head away from the Penguin's Lair before he pops up out of the water and kills us all. JD, close us out with some walking, will ya? Oh, Dave, your podcast is awesome. Hopefully you enjoyed our show.
um, and we'll set you on the right path. There you go. Let's take a break. We'll be right back.